Welcome to the Emerging Market Retail Podcast. My name is Rafael Escamilla. And my name is Camilo Mora. Welcome, Camilo. And today we have a very exciting topic. We're going to be talking about uh, route market strategies, specifically, you know, how to structure the sales and distribution processes uh, in emerging markets. And today we're going to be talking to Pedro Uro, who is the VP of Supply Chain uh, for Danone in Mexico. Um, who will be telling us about the different challenges that Danone is facing uh, in, in this country, which kind of also reflect the reality of other suppliers in other channels. So Camilo, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about the, the complexities that uh, suppliers face in Mexico. Yes, of course. Thank you, Rafa. So in emerging markets such as Mexico, uh, the the landscape, the, the retailing landscape is dominated by the traditional channel meaning mom and pop stores or also known as nano stores. And uh, when companies like uh, like the Danone Group uh, are trying to to or are uh, serving these customers and you know historically they have like uh, 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 operated with three different brands and companies separately like silos and now they're trying to merge those in order to get like efficiencies now with these strategic decisions now the challenge is how these decisions affect the operation so we are talking about uh, complexities in terms of the frequency of visits you know, so if I used to operate with three different brands, uh, three different like um, agents, sales agents visiting these stores, now I am doing it like uh, with just one visit or the remaining or, or or still the three visits, you know, thinking of one visit per week per company. Also, in terms of the um, of the ordering, you know. If uh, the idea is to continue with the face-to-face -face interactions between the agents and the shopkeepers, or if they are going to implement technologies in order to facilitate this ordering. Um, also, we have challenges in the infrastructure um, in terms of parking spaces, right? Because uh, these type of companies... Um, waste a lot of time uh, trying to to park their their vehicles their freight vehicles to to conduct the operation this is very time consuming among others so i think that the discussion with pedro is going to be very interesting in order to to have a better understanding of how these type of companies are adapting you know their uh let's say strategies and their operations in order to uh, have significant gains, not just in efficiencies, but also in terms of reduction of carbon emissions. Absolutely. So in the end, we hope to learn about the, the strategic decisions that Danone is making. And so I propose that we go straight to the straight to the main source. Uh, so let's go and talk to Pedro Uro, our expert, who is the VP of supply chain in Danone, Mexico. Yeah, let's have the discussion with the expert. All right. So welcome back to the Emerging Market Retail Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, he's Pedro Uro, the VP of Supply Chain of Danone in Mexico. Welcome, Pedro. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Great. So, um, Pedro, uh, we would like to, to learn... You know, uh, what is the secret to be able to serve uh, such a heterogeneous customer base 
you know, in terms of that you have direct good customer in terms of jugs, multiple channels. Uh, you have also these two brands, Bonafont and Danone in Mexico, with such a heterogeneous set of products. You have dry, you have cold chain. So um, uh, my, my first question would be, what are the different channels that you serve? And what are some of the defining characteristics and challenges of your operations for be able to serve them, you know, in terms of technology, distribution strategy, you know, pre-sales, van sales, and also the financial terms and conditions with these uh, customers. Okay, so well, everything everything starts from from a route to market analysis, no? Uh, independently of the categories or the territories, we we use the same approach uh, to everywhere. No? And everything is based uh, basically on two, I would say starting points. The first one is the commercial one, uh, being able to understand where are our customers, no? depending on how we are going to serve them. If we are gonna be serving the modern channel, for example, uh, we are not serving the final consumer, we are serving a customer, an intermediate customer. Uh, and then, for example, for proximity channels or more direct to, to consumer uh, go-to-markets, uh, we have different options. Now we, we don't have different channels like the away from home, uh, uh, the mom and pops, which are the, the largest amount of consumers are, and, or customers that we have in, in our database. Mm -hmm. uh, stores like Oxos, you know, convenience stores, uh, which have also a large distribution in the in the territory. No? So, so when we look at this uh, at this uh, these two starting points, no, the commercial one, and then the geographical location of of each of these uh, uh, delivery points, specifically to our uh, supply locations, that's where we do this kind of magic. No. Uh, it's really not magic. It's uh, it's a tool that we use uh, that we call it total cost to serve. Mm -hmm. And between these two, uh, between these two strategies, no, the the commercial part and the costing side, uh, we can very clearly define what's the best way to to get there. No, if it's going to be either through a cross docking system from our customers. Uh, if you want to use uh, pre sales and delivery for the highly densified areas, or if we need to have uh, advanced sales, which is uh, less intensive in cost, but it's also less efficient in terms of, uh, of drop sizes and number of deliveries that you can actually execute. So that, that's kind of the balance. Now, one of the things that we have started to do in the, in the recent weeks, and I would not say as far as uh, too many months, we have started some operations where we are mixing categories in the same vehicles or the same uh, delivery uh, tools. No, uh, we have some pilots uh, going around uh, with different sizes because you know you you need to take into account things like different drop sizes for the dry and the cold uh, chain side. Uh, uh, we even had to start doing some pre-work. Uh, about 18 months ago, uh, trying to understand the customers. Now, because you can have a 
a very big uh, database for customers that are already are already your customers for water, but they are not purchasing any dairy products, no, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when you try to overlap them, uh, they will not necessarily have the same frequencies or the same uh, service level agreements, no, because you can have one mom and pop store which is you know more dedicated to to cold products, maybe, uh, you know, processed meats or dairy products, and then just a small part of uh, water or beverages even, no? and, and you can have the opposite, no? you can have a big uh, outlet, which is uh, more like a snack and beverage kind of uh, outlet, uh, which you can, you can offer them the dairy products and put a small refrigerator there, no? because mm -hmm. for dairy, that's not an option. No, in in beverages you can have or not uh, a cold uh, a cold device, not to, to have your products. But in dairy, that's not an option. No? So, so you can imagine that the first stage was actually doing this uh, uh, this balancing between the two databases, and and now we we have started uh, our first distribution center, which is uh, fully converted into multi-category delivery. Mm -hmm. uh, we just started that in San Luis Potosí, uh, in the capital city, San Luis Potosí. Uh, and it's been only a couple of weeks, so I cannot tell you that much <laughs> because I don't, we still don't know. We are still on, on, the, on the first pilot now. Thank you. So perhaps, um, I mean, you, you have already been addressing uh, those synergies that you're now exploiting, right? Because traditionally, uh, Bonafont, uh, let's say the, the, the water uh, part of the company and, and the non, the dairy part of the company were very much, uh, for, from our understanding, operating as, as separate entities, right? But now you have come in this position as, as VP of supply chain for the known, right? Before you uh, were uh, serving a similar role, but only for the Bonafont part of the, of the company. And now you really are at the forefront of that effort to uh, start developing those uh, synergies uh, for the company going forward. Um, and, and I mean, you have already told us a little bit about how those uh, pilots are, are going, but uh, perhaps you can tell us a bit more about that, right? So you, you were already talking a little bit about the data. Um, and uh, there, my question is, how do you uh, combine this data that we're perhaps even kept uh, separately and administered by different people? Um, or, or was that already centralized before? Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about that. No, as, as you mentioned, you know, the, the, the three units, the, the three business units that operated under Danone in Mexico were absolutely separated. No? So we had the, the jogs operation on one side, uh, beverages, uh, personal sizes for beverages on, on another side, and then uh, daily all by itself. No, uh, cold chain data is one 100% uh, full cold chain, and uh, you know, jugs and beverages is dry, those are dry chains, uh, with a huge difference in, in logistics. No, jugs cannot travel more than 100 kilometers because if, if you go more than 100 kilometers, it, it doesn't pay out. Uh, and bottles, you can you should not be traveling more than a thousand kilometers. Uh, in the worst case, but you have more flexibility than you have in, in jobs, no? 
Uh, so, so yes, the, the, you, you can imagine the databases were not even not not only being matched by different people; they were being managed in different systems. We we didn't have a one single platform for uh, for all the company. No, we we are now running on the SAP, uh, but there are different instance, instances of SAP. So they and they do not talk to each other uh, yet. So one of the changes that we are developing is, is uh, moving all the companies into the same instance. Uh, as you can imagine, that's the back end, you know, the back office. For the front office, we, we are actually working on, on developing a new, a new tool that can actually manage uh, three of them. Uh, we first started working uh, internally, trying to do customer matching. Uh, and this is obviously all for the mom and pops, no? the traditional channel. Uh, when you go to, to the modern channel, like the Walmart, Sorianas, uh, Oxos, uh, there's no problem there because the, the customers are uh, specifically identified and it's very easy to, to match them. Uh, but the proximity channel is another history. No? So we, we, we started, we have been doing a lot of tests uh, using some softwares that allow you to, to match them uh, by geolocation, uh, tax ID number, uh, addresses, store name, store owner. You can imagine, no? you, you can have one, you can have one store that is the same physical store uh, with even seven or eight instances uh, distributed in the three companies now because we, we even found <laughs> out that we have duplicates. In the same, <laughs> in the same, uh, in the same units, no. Uh, so we 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 started doing uh, a lot of uh, theoretical analysis on that. Uh, we didn't get that much uh, out of it. Uh, the thing that we're doing now is we are physically going once we within our process. The first thing that we are converting, you cannot convert one site. It's not like a big bang. You cannot go and, and, and you know, you if you already have three operations in, let's say, San Luis Potosí, and you want to convert it to one single operation, you cannot go and do a big bang. You first have to start with the pre-selling operations. So that's the first part that we converted. No? So we use the same pre-seller, pre-selling people to do kind of a census to validate on a single platform uh, what the customers of that specific routes are. And then we move from, from there on. No? Next thing, we need to find a place where we can put the three operations together. It needs to be a specific layout so that we can actually operate uh, both chains. Uh, in primary distribution, there's no sense of, of sending a truck that has both categories. Uh, that, that's not where the synergies come from. Uh, most of the synergies come from organization, uh, being able to manage one customer as a single, as a single offer, uh, being able to, uh, to manage a single you know, loyalty program. Uh, you can develop to a lot, a lot more things when you go as a single company than when you try to compete for the money of the store uh, between the three units. No? And then the last thing that, that uh, that you actually synergize is the delivery because it needs, as I was explaining before, it needs to make sense. Uh, we usually, we, what we have been seeing is that uh, the between the pilot testing and the simulations that we have done is that it's it runs better uh, for the smaller 
for the smaller drop sizes and the farthest, uh, the farthest customer. So if you need to go very far to drop, uh, to sell a small amount, it makes sense going together because you can actually... Like rural areas, for example, right? Exactly. And you can divide all the fixed costs between the different, uh, between the different categories. As of having three trucks going, you know, driving 50 kilometers to do separate, uh, separate drops. We, we are also trying to understand where it makes sense on the much denser parts. Uh, but for example, places like uh, Mexico City, which is extremely high density, it doesn't make sense. Uh, you, you lose more time uh, trying to deliver and trying to modify everything into the same truck rather than doing uh, specialized deliveries. Mm-hmm. Okay. Th- th- so th- that is super. Can, can I just ask a follow-up? Sure, sure. Yeah. Be- because uh, I was kind of puzzled by something that you said, Pedro. You talked about competing for the money with the different brands. And I can already imagine what you mean by that. Uh, because in the end, uh, the payment from the stores is being done with cash, I, I would guess, in most of the cases. Mostly. And yeah. now you are going with two separate, basically two separate companies. So you're getting kind of two shots at getting that cash, right? Whereas if you integrate that and you only go there once, that means you only have a single shot at getting that cash, right? That's that's a challenge, yes. Uh, but but also uh, remember that everything everything you do to synergize has to do with the the amount of times that you're able to go and how efficient is that uh, is that visit. No, so yes, you would you would think that instead of visiting, remember we are not changing the we are not changing the amount of times that we are visiting. Uh, the thing is that in in instead of being you know. Uh, for example, imagine that you have one one customer called uh, Abarrotes Juan. No, uh, in a week they would receive a visit from Dairy, one for jugs and one for uh, beverages. No, and you would only have one chance per category to get the money out of the. Uh, it's not stealing, but it's you know taking advantage <laughs> of. Of the cash available in the in the store, now, you know these these uh, stores they run on on cash flow, they survive on cash flow. Now even they they need to sell some of their inventory to be able to purchase new one. Now so this is you need to be there when that money is available to be able to sell your products. Now so instead of uh, having three three pre-sellers visiting once each per week. Now you go as one company and you have three times, you have the same three visits, uh, but as a single as a single company, we're offering three categories. So you get a chance to, you get three more, you get two more chances to sell the other categories that you would only have, you would only have had one chance in the previous, uh, in the previous system. So you're still going the same number of times, but you're doing it in a more efficient way and you're letting your customer, uh, you're offering your customer your full portfolio in every single visit instead of just one single uh, portfolio per visit. Yeah, very interesting, this topic, because, um, I don't know, my intuition was that by combining this, you're going to impact the frequency of visits, right? 
So, and you are mentioning that that this is not the case, that you are still visiting the stores the same times. Uh, do you think or do you envision in the future reducing the 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 frequency of visits to these stores to make operations more efficient? Uh, yes, that you know that that's that's a great question because you know that that's part of the continuous improvement process that we usually do. Even even when you have a single category, uh, the amount of times, uh, the amount of uh, the frequency that you do that you adjust your visits or the mm -hmm. the adjustments to the service level agreement, which include free frequency, is one of the items included in that uh, in that agreement. That's something that we are continuously uh, revising. You know? we, we even have uh, different uh, strategies. You, you can have the same, the same territory, and within a, a specific territory, you have different clusters of, uh, of uh, stores no? or, or customers. No? It's yep. not the same. You, we have the golden ones, and then we have the silvers and the bronzes. You don't have the same service level agreement for all of them. Uh, so you can actually iterate and you can adjust. You can visit more frequently the golden ones and then less frequent the, the bronzes. Or you can actually change the way you are serving these guys and, and not you don't specifically need to have someone visit them all of the times. So you can actually do remote order taking uh, can be via WhatsApp or any other platform that you can connect to to our system, so that not necessarily you need to uh, to go to all the customers uh, on all the occasions. No, so yes, uh, answer specifically to your question. Yes, we 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 do expect that we will eventually reduce the number of frequency because that's that's the most important asset that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, so the truck the trucks. Our trucks, at least, uh, they usually, uh, they are, you know, the, the restriction is on the amount of time and the amount of visits that they can do in a day rather than the, the amount of product that we can load into them. Got uh, it. So frequency, frequency is the most important, uh, I would say, is the most important uh, variable that we need to improve. Sure, and and I have a, a follow-up question um, regarding the road-to-market, uh, let's say, procedure or process. You mentioned that everything starts with the commercial side, right? So now that you are operating as a group, in this uh, first approach in the onboarding process uh, has has changed, and now you are you are presenting yourselves as a group. And you are like combining those terms and agreements for that customer in one. Plus, for instance, if you are providing to the proximity channel that are the nano stores, if you are providing a fridge, that fridge is also for the products of the group as well. As well, we are we are uh, you know the the service level that that's one of the most important uh, you know sources of extra volume. No? specifically for the daily business because we we do have a lot of fridges for water out mm -hmm. there uh, which you can optimize you can it's it's uh, it's not extremely easy but it's relatively easy to convert the the fridge uh, to have a, a specific amount of the volume dedicated to dairy so those are customers that maybe 
they didn't have any infrastructure to be able to manage daily, daily products that can now do it. So we are also converting. We are designing the new ones, obviously, uh, but what's already in the market, all the assets that we already have in the market, we are converting them also to multi-categories so that we can manage uh, both categories and actually increase the number of customers that are purchasing the three categories. Well, this is a, a very insightful discussion. Um, Pedro, I, I wanted to ask, I know that you have been uh, very involved in testing out innovations um, in managing the, the public space. And I know actually Camilo has also been doing work in that in that uh, sphere um, mm -hmm. to create more efficient distribution processes for CPG manufacturers in Mexico, which in the end can lead to uh, better outcomes for everyone, right? So consumers um, experience less traffic, uh, companies do their operations uh, faster, and the shopkeepers, well, they get the deliveries uh, uh, in a more reliable way. Uh, so perhaps you can tell us a bit about these efforts and where you see this, uh, you know, um, developing in the future. Yes, uh, for sure. This, uh, you know, when usually when you think when you when you come from outside and you you start to think in the delivery process, the first thing that comes to your mind is okay. I, I need to stop at every single customer that I visit, right? Uh, and and that's not true. <laughs> you actually. You actually have to route to parking spaces, places where you can actually park the vehicle. And then from that parking spot, you do the, the supply by foot or, or any operation that you that you need to do. No? So all the all the these uh these new initiatives uh, that we've been doing uh, with Camilo and, and another and other parties, uh are actually these, no? specifically for places where you have high, the high congested uh, areas, that's where it's more difficult to find the parking space. No? And if you are in the delivery business, then if you need to stop, at, uh, you need to find a place to, to park. And then you, um, you will stop traffic or uh, you, you may be able to, to receive a, a you know, a, a parking <laughs> violation, no, uh, for for doing operations in the middle of the street, no. Uh, so specifically in the in the downtown areas, the more the higher density areas in in the cities, the, this is where these kind of uh, initiatives work perfect, no, because then you have a, an organized uh, space where the trucks will not uh, bother. The, the traffic or they will not bother the, the people doing business or living their lives in, in those places uh, where you can actually park your vehicle there. And because of the high density of the nano stores uh, close to those strategically located uh, spots, you can do deliveries more efficiently. You know? So it's uh, you can actually go from maybe one driver uh, to including two helpers. You know, you, you will have a higher number crew in your truck, but you will be able to make uh, maybe 30 or 40% uh, more deliveries from one single truck, rather to having one person finding a parking spot. You know, they, they can lose a lot of time just trying to, to find a way to park now. So this is where most of the benefit comes from. 
Great. For our audience, uh, Pedro is referring, or in this case, when he said like this project with Camilo, he's uh, referring to the easy parking project that uh, we piloted last year in Zapopan in the state of Jalisco in Mexico. And we are about to deploy it also in Guadalajara and in Lima in Peru. Uh, these are pilot tests, you know, where we are uh, trying to um, you know, see what are the benefits or estimate the benefits of these loading and unloading areas exclusive for uh, freight vehicles. That's that's great, Pedro. And and thanks, by the way, for for being so involved and so committed, you know, in these in these projects that, as Rafa mentioned, uh, have, you know, benefits not only just for companies, but for uh, uh, shopkeepers and also for uh, society, you know, as a whole. This is super interesting. So um, I'm also curious what you are doing in terms of digital ordering channels. You already mentioned, you know, the use of WhatsApp and uh, other technologies. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about those efforts and sort of how um, coordinated they are directly from uh, the corporate offices, right? Because we know or, or we have the intuition that this may already be happening at scale uh, directly, uh, let's say, from the sales reps directly with the, the shopkeepers, but is this really being coordinated uh, centrally? We we do believe that this this needs to be as easy as and as simple, as practical as as it can for for any for any mom and pop. Uh, we do believe that uh, placing orders in an application like like WhatsApp, uh, you know, it helps you eliminate barriers because you don't have you don't have to develop your own app. You don't have to ask the owner, the store owner, to download your app. Uh, and also, you know, Coca-Cola is going to have theirs, Bimbo is going to have theirs, uh, Barcel is going to have theirs. So, you know, that's that's when the the, the people in the store starts being discouraged, you know, using too many too many apps. But if all of us can can connect through WhatsApp, then then that's a, that's a real benefit because you only have one one way of communication, and uh, it's a simple bot that you can program and. and interface with your delivery system no our systems already have the the flexibility to be able to receive orders online so so that's something that we can that we can accommodate one of the things that we are still working on is the rerouting uh, because most of our operations are done uh, via pre-sale uh, the day before and delivery the next day uh, so we are still working on the best uh, the best way to do deliveries on the same day. Very good. So uh, with that, Pedro, we would like to thank you for this uh, comprehensive interview. We have discussed plenty of th plenty of things, and well, good luck with this uh, multi category project. Um, again, thank you very much for for your time and uh, stay in touch. Well, thank you guys for, for having me. It was a pleasure and, and keep in touch, please. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you, Pedro. Bye. So welcome back. And now we have the discussion with Professor Franco in which uh, we will uh, try to understand more in depth um, the insights that we got from Pedro. So, Professor, how are you? Very good, very good. How are you, uh, Camilo, Rafa? 
Doing great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris, it, it's always nice to hear Pedro talk, right? He's so insightful, experienced, and uh, yes, it was it was really great to uh, to 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 hear him. Yeah, actually, sure. well, uh, now that that you mentioned the the thing that he shares, he was talking about you know uh, some route to market strategies how they are trying to leverage their capabilities in Mexico and to, you know, uh, now work as a group, right? Because they were working as uh, as, as separate companies. And, well, in, in this case, uh, I know, Rafa knows, that you and other researchers or their colleagues have uh, conducted research on different route-to-market strategies in emerging markets. So what do you uh, think are some of the key trade-offs and associated implications that managers in emerging markets need to be aware of for different channels. Yes, uh, good point. Lots of things to say about this, right? So I, I would say in, in, in general, uh, if, we, if we talk about the, the traditional channel, so nano stores, um, the, the main trade-off, traditional trade-off that has been faced is whether to go direct or not. Right, uh, uh, going direct implies that uh, both in terms of uh, sales and in terms of delivery, uh, as a supplier, I take responsibility for uh, reaching uh, the store. Um, and uh, this brings uh, advantages, as, as our research uh, shows, particularly, uh, I, I think there are two key advantages to realize if you go direct. One is that uh, because you visit the stores directly, you're able to push sales much more. And this is driven by the fact that because you, you as a supplier, you have a larger margin, you can also uh, put in more effort to actually realize those sales. And this comes obviously at a cost. So this is where the trade-off is. And the cost is a relatively high cost of distribution, right? Visiting all these stores, uh, takes time and effort cost, uh, so this affects the bottom line. So in general, what, what you see is that as long as the density of stores is high, in most developing markets, it really pays off to go direct. Um, unless, yeah, if you don't have sufficient coverage, if your product category is maybe something that's not carried in, in stores with a lot of density, yeah, then you need to start relying more on uh, on distributors uh, or wholesalers, right? And and in that case, uh, you forego uh, part of the margin, right? Because selling into a wholesaler will will deliver you a lower margin. Uh, you forego the opportunity to directly uh, touch base with uh, with the stores, but yeah, maybe the the cost of distribution are otherwise too high, right? So so this is the fundamental. Uh, trade-off and uh, maybe in the in the show notes we can put some references to the to the paper that uh, that we wrote on this now where i think uh, a lot of uh, let's say managers of cpg companies that don't have an in-depth understanding of the markets uh, in the developing world sort of uh, underestimate the complexity is in the modern channel. So if you go in the, in the modern channel, so in the supermarkets, uh, still a remarkable number of these modern channel stores in developing countries, they also serve direct. 
right? So, so here in Europe, this is very uncommon. I would say a few product classes, if any, uh, the stores are served direct and almost everything is into a cross dock or a distribution center of the retailer. This is still much less common there. So it, it, the, 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 you really need to, to understand the situation on the ground to, uh, to, to understand your opportunities there. And if you serve uh, into uh, a distribution center, as some may do for some product categories, Typically, this comes at a huge pressure on uh, on margins mm -hmm. and maybe still quite some high operational costs because the efficiencies of handling the incoming trucks at these centers are typically very low. I've been in, in Uruguay, Mexico, and China in, in a number of these centers and, and, and waiting times of three, four, five hours, they're not uncommon, right? And think of in three, four, five hours, I probably could serve uh, maybe 50 nanostores in this, well, maybe not 50, maybe 30 in, in that time, right? So mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's where the, where the trade-off needs to be made. Now, if you allow me, I think where there is currently sort of a, a big, I don't know if this is yet a shakeup, but at least I would say the landscape is changing with digitization, right? So with digitization, there, there's quite a few things happening. So one is I could, for instance, start taking orders digitally. This allows me then to still go direct, but not incur the cost of sending the sales agent out. Uh, there, there are quite a few, uh, I would say startups in particular, but also in a number of large brands. Uh, think of uh, Fenta Coca-Cola or ABM Bev uh, that have been running uh, the deploying these these type of systems um some more some less successful i would say the the jury is still out in terms of the long-term uh, uh, implication and uh, implementations of uh, of this right successful i would say i'm not aware yet of any implementation of uh, of digital ordering where, um, uh, where where sales wizards or other types of manual processes have been completely eliminated. Hmm. Um, I think also still there's insufficient understanding to what extent this will actually impact also the ordering and the sales process. The other thing is digitization on delivery, right? And uh, if you digitize on delivery, for instance, I go to electronic payments, um, uh, I go to creating much more transparency in all of the activities that are happening on delivery. I can also increase efficiency there. Uh, this would actually drive to go more direct, right? So, so I, I, I think that the, the, the thinking in terms of when, when we, when we move more digital, do we actually move to a situation where we go more indirect in terms of route to market or more direct? I don't know. I, th I think both both could could happen, and uh, we're still learning in a sense. So, Professor, you're now transitioning a bit into uh, a topic that uh, we also wanted to discuss, um, and that I think uh, Pedro brought in. Uh, uh, I think a fantastic example with the distribution of mixed categories in a single vehicle uh, that uh, Danone is now uh, undergoing. And uh, indeed, as you mentioned, you see that more and more uh, large uh, consumer packaged goods manufacturers are moving into a scheme 
where they are integrating more categories into their commercial offering in order to maximize the return on the very expensive last mile operations that these companies uh, traditionally have, particularly when serving the traditional market. So in Danone's case, those those synergies kind of exist naturally uh, because of the, the product portfolio that they have, but they're also very challenging to realize because of the uh, underlying differences in the products and, and, and how these uh, need to be handled. So what advice would you provide for, for Danone and other companies uh, uh, to leverage these synergies within their operations, within, let's say, massively increasing the co- operational complexity? Yeah. So the, the, again, the, so the, the 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 trade-offs I think are are are, are complex, right? And uh, I think a number came up also in uh, in the interview with uh, with Pedro Oro. Um, so so uh, because because they relate also to a number of design decisions in your route to market. In particular, I would say the overall assortment size that you're offering. And uh, the frequency of visiting the stores, right? Um, so, so normally you would think, well, if I start consolidating categories, essentially I can increase drop size, uh, and uh, uh, hence uh, that uh, reduces the cost uh, per, per product in my route, right? But, but. Um, Doing that, if I increase my drop size, this also implies that the shopkeeper somehow needs to be able to afford placing a larger order, right? So, so doing that, essentially what, what our research shows is doing that without some way of providing also credits. So paying for this, this could be quite painful. This could be painful and because the shopkeeper simply may not have enough cash. Right. So, um, what was interesting in Danone's operation is that they bundled the two uh, deliveries, the two categories. So, so the uh, the, the dairy and the, and the waters, um, and they kept the visit frequency. So, in essence, the store was visited uh, more times. Right. So, I think this overcomes this issue. And uh, the justification that they provided was also interesting. I don't know whether you noticed this in the conversation, but what Pedro said, well, essentially, we don't max out on the capacity of the vehicle. Now, this is very common. I think in many delivery routes, you see it that the vehicle can, the vehicle capacity is not the constraint. The constraint is the time uh, of that you need to visit all of the stores. So that implies that if I have the opportunity to just max out the vehicle and I still do these stores, still the costs go down, right? And then maybe you don't 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 double um, uh, the the sales in a sense, but I can expect uh Pedro didn't disclose any data, but I would expect that actually there could be actually very interesting business case in this perspective. Because uh, suppose you're then able to maybe uh, increase sales uh, just by by increasing effectively on a per per uh, SKU basis the visit frequency. Actually, this would increase sales. Some of our studies suggest this could be multiple tens of percentage points. Well, that could actually uh, quickly uh, drive further the business case. So I'm maxing out on the vehicle. 
And I'm increasing sales because effectively from a consumer perspective, from a shopkeeper perspective, I'm increasing the visit frequency. Probably later on, this, this will start to be optimized a bit more, maybe maybe reducing a bit in some places, etc. But I would say initially, I would expect there to be the gain. Yeah, so in the end, it, it provides additional flexibility for shopkeepers if you're offering the full assortment with the number, to, like in, in, in total terms, the number of visits remains the same. So you're just providing more flexibility in that sense for the ordering for the shopkeepers, which may very well be, be beneficial, right? And then yeah. the question is in the future, how much you can actually optimize that? I think I think quite a bit. I, yes. I can imagine, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and uh, there were stores with uh, which they were not visiting before because it turned out there was relatively little overlap, right, between the two sec between the two uh, uh, business lines. So yeah. So professor, now that that uh, you mentioned, you know the or the keyword consolidating, you know it's it's, it's great in terms of increasing uh, the utilization of the vehicles. Of course, this will uh, imply maybe increasing the drop sizes if the shopkeepers have space and cash. If not, then provide credit, so on and so forth. But now let's let's uh, see this, you know, uh, from the perspective of um, of carbon emissions of the decarbonizing these urban logistics. So I was wondering um, how a group like Danone that has different type of categories. Some are dry. Some are um, refrigerated and of course they have a fleet for each one of those separately how can they combine these in order to have these gains mm -hmm. so so they've been been combining different categories right so part of the vehicle mm -hmm. is now refrigerated and part is not i, I think in, in general if you look at decarbonization in this uh in the, this type of operation uh, there is a big opportunity in uh, uh, better filling the vehicles. If, the, if in the end the vehicles are fuller, it means I need fewer vehicles per unit of product. So this effectively uh, decarbonizes the, the delivery system, uh, if you like. Um, what I don't know and this would be an interesting question in a sense so if it, at the same time when you are there's obviously uh, emissions being generated by the refrigeration itself <laughs> right so if i is there sort of a diseconomies of scale if i split this uh, over much smaller units uh, i don't know i i i i can imagine that it's much easier to control the temperature in a relatively small unit uh, right, because also it will imply probably the door is smaller, right? But now I go fully outside my area of expertise, but I would say <laughs> if I have a big van that's fully refrigerated and I open the door, the amount of uh, Mexican Monterey hot air that gets in <laughs> is probably much smaller than if I have a little door on the side, right? So... I don't know how big the effect is, but I could imagine that this plays a, also a beneficial role uh, in a sense. In the long run, of course, the decarbonization needs to happen because of the change in propulsion, right? So, so, so combustion engines will will need to move to be uh, be electric. Um, maybe the refrigeration could be electric by solar panels on the roof, so there there can be electrification. In the end, we'll have uh, a much bigger impact, and I think the 
currently higher fuel prices may also help there a bit. And, and some um, companies have been quite innovative in investing in their own electric fleet, right? So uh, Bimbo in, in Mexico, I know, has built their own fleet, in a sense, electric fleet. And if you look at the distances that these vehicles are um, operating at on uh, on a route, it's typically under 100 kilometers. So, so electrification can do can do quite a bit there. All right. Well, thank you very much, Professor. I think with that we're going to to wrap up the episode. Uh, and thank thank you everyone for listening. Thanks, guys. See you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Tilburg University.